You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, we invite your apprehensive listeners. Who are you? What are you doing here? The Armory Center for the Arts is located in Pasadena. We teach arts education and creativity to people of all ages on site in our studio, as well as in schools, community centers, park and rec centers, and in the juvenile justice system. Everything is filtered through the lens of cultural equity, which means that we adjust our language that we're using, our approach, our decision making, we acknowledge the oppression and the institutional privilege that the organization has had and has benefited from, and that we're making a commitment to leverage that privilege to create a more just world in the areas that we have control. It's also recognizing assumptions about who belongs, what belonging means, and how do we create a welcoming environment where everybody feels like they belong. What is your name and function? Hi, I'm Leslie Ito, Executive Director of the Armory Center for the Arts, and you're listening to the Afro Existential Podcast on Broadway Podcast Network. They're a wild lot, they say. Welcome to the Afro Existential Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Indira Wilson. And I'm Blaine Van Teemer. Now tell me, uh, what's so special about tonight? This season, we'll be presenting a new interview series entitled The Breakthrough, From Vision to Fruition. In this series, we hear from people who took a great idea and made it a reality. We want to know how they did it and how they got over the obstacles along the way. We hope that it helps and inspires you to make your great idea a reality. Oh, yes. In this episode, we're talking with Armory Center for the Arts Executive Director Leslie Ito about the importance of cultural equity and why she made it a priority at the art organization. Oh, how interesting. And we'll be right back after a brief commercial break. Yes, it'll be like old times, darling. Hello, I'm Alistair Justin Black from Theater in the Black. Playwright Blaine Tima began writing Dead Weight in 2016. He finished it nearly four months later. The writing of the perfect line in a great play, or the making of a line of fine, fancy wines, takes time. Perfect example is Afro Eggs' new and improved Bougie Beaujolais. A red wine with notes of tang, green apple, tropical punch, black cherry, and invisible grape. It's a fancy wine for those fancy moments. What was true nearly four months ago is true today. It's five o'clock somewhere. Take life one sip at a time. And we're back. Founded in 1989, Armory Center for the Arts has a respected contemporary art exhibitions program and offers artists taught classes for children, teens, families, and adults. 
Armory's executive director is Leslie Ito. Ito's reputation for cultural bridge building and advocacy underscores her deep commitment to arts equity and access for all people. I had the pleasure to talk with Leslie about Armory Center for the Arts and their commitment to cultural equity. The Armory Center for the Arts is located in Pasadena, and our mission is to build on the power of art to transform lives and communities through creating, teaching, and presenting the arts. And we're a leader in contemporary art exhibitions and community arts education, which means that we teach arts education and creativity to people of all ages on site in our studio, as well as in schools, community centers, park and rec centers, and in the juvenile justice system. Can you talk a little bit about how it's expanding? Yeah, we've been, um, we have a staff and board committee that's been working for about eight months on our mission and, and the vision for the organization. And what I can say right now about that transition is it's not going to change at its core, but it will layer in more social justice based um, values into the statement being much more explicit about who is at the sweet spot of what we're trying to do. Um, we have lo- have had lots of conversations about where we're serving, who our constituents are and where they're coming from. We've been exploring all of those things. And I think this is a really critical moment for the organization. And it's a really critical moment within with the context that we're working in and the world that we're living in and the people that we're trying to serve. So what I mean by that, been having lots of conversations around cultural equity work, how to adjust our language that we're using, our approach, our decision-making. And it's what I have found is that it's a moment of undoing and it's a moment of creation as well. Um, And that is really exciting for me. I would say that a good 50% of my work in the last three plus years that I've been in my new position um, is really about undoing and really looking at how we're making decisions, who's making the, the decisions, and how do we build better, more equitable processes to support our work and looking towards a world where the arts are provided for more people and in an, in a more equitable manner. I really wanted to make sure that we didn't just adopt a policy, but that this was something that the board and the staff and the organization were really going to embrace and take to heart and implement on a day-to-day basis, but also across the organization. So, you know, it's things like, you know, dedicating ourselves to providing safe spaces that are creative and inclusive and have, give a positive experience for everyone, regardless of who they are and where they've come from, that we acknowledge the oppression and the institutional privilege that the organization has had and has benefited from, and that we're making a commitment to leverage that privilege to create a more just world in the areas that we have control over and that we can make change in. It's also recognizing assumptions about who belongs, what belonging means, and how do we create a welcoming environment where everybody feels like they belong. The nitty gritty 
pieces of like, how do we operationalize this policy to ensure that our hiring practices, how we're investing our capital, everything is filtered through the lens of cultural equity is it's really important to our organization. So I think there are a lot of arts organizations out there that are checking off the box. It's ruffling some feathers at the board level. They didn't really understand what cultural equity meant. And they weren't given the tools and the training to really help them understand. We're kind of taking it next level. Like this is not just about who we're serving and the content that we're providing, but it's about our infrastructure and how we're making decisions and who we're engaging inside and outside of the organization. You're right. It feels like a lot of times companies and organizations, especially around what happened with George Floyd, everybody got on the bandwagon to kind of say we're doing like we have to be doing better. I think part of it felt like doing better was having like a... um, an in-service or a, you know, some kind of committee to have a discussion. You bring a speaker in and get everybody hyped up. And then for a lot of people, I think it just stopped there. Like we did, you know, we're now aware of what's going on. Done. (laughs) Done. What's the next thing? (laughs) So I think that the Armory, especially at the staff level, we're really doing, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, like 2.0. It's gone beyond just the basics of like, what does, you know, what does it mean to be anti-racist? Um, you know, what are, what are the systems and the ins- how does institutionalized racism show up? We're doing that because everybody is kind of at a different place in their journey and we, we recognize that. But we're also looking at community organizing, training, All of our staff have gone through community organizing training because I realized that the training that I've had and where I come from is very much from a community organizing model. And, you know, there are values within that training that I wanted to center within the organization. And we all needed to have sort of that baseline understanding with those, with those values and those strategies in mind. So, whether you're raising money in the organization or you're running a program that relies on community members and community leaders, having the baseline of how to work with other people and pulling yourself and the organization out from the center and really building deep partnerships was really important. And I realized that that was really grounded for me in community organizing. The other thing that we've done in terms of training is we just finished a bystander training, um, as well as de-escalation training. I see it as part of our cultural equity and DEI work, but that's not traditionally what people think of. But it's important for us to know, like, if we see something happening to somebody that is inequitable or is inciting violence because of who they are, we need to be able to know how to respond to that and how to how to support one another. That is also, to me, what cultural equity and you know diversity, equity and inclusion work is all about. Mm. And so often experts come in and say, oh, this is what the problem is. This is what the fix yes. is, because I use this fix in Texas and in Philadelphia. So this will work here without having any discussions with the people that you're trying to to help, you know, like you were just describing, like there's so many things that people overlook 
and don't think about or consider when they are trying to be more inclusive. It's not mm-hmm. just like one presentation. It's so many different things. It's so interesting because it, it makes so much sense to do all of this. Mm-hmm. You know what it's like? It's like when, I don't know if this happens at your organization, but there's like a new program on the computer or like the computer gets upgraded and everybody has to learn the new system. Mm-hmm. And everybody's yeah. like so resistant to like learn yeah. it. Like, why do we got to change? I like, you know, 1.0. Why do we yeah. have to <laughs> Yeah, and then it's, it's like, you have to like, really like, and then once you start doing, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I used a typewriter for yeah. all these years. <laughs> I see your typewriter. I've got one back here behind me as well. Oh, an awesome. old typewriter. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Those transitions from one phase to another are really tough. And so, you know, finding a way to help people along is really important and you know I have to stop myself because there are some days where I am just impatient like I I feel like oh we've been at this for for 60 years you know and you know why is this taking so long enough is enough those are the days where I'm just you know impatient I need to take a breath and like okay this is like one foot in front of the other I did come in thinking that I was going to, my primary role in taking this position was yes to, to run an arts organization. But I also came in with the idea that I wanted to make a difference in the city that I was born and raised in that has very, very deep and, and very complicated relation with race. But what I didn't expect was for all of my energy to be put into fighting, trying to help an organization survive a global pandemic. So I was reserving all of that energy to work on, you know, where are the areas where I can make a difference in in pushing us forward on the racial justice issues in the city of Pasadena? Because you know, this is where my family has been for 75 years. And I don't think we've done a great job of recognizing and then looking at what needs to be undone. Um, and I think, you know, there are definitely reasons why we haven't had those, you know, why those conversations, you know, are still at such nascent stages. How long had you been there when the pandemic kicked in? I was at the Armory about a year and a half before the pandemic hit in. You know, I was just starting to understand the full operations to get my footing and then the pandemic hit. So we had to quickly shift from being an all in-person organization where teaching community-based arts education really happened in a classroom or inside the juvenile detention halls um, in our studio to being online. You know, we opened a Zoom account and (laughs) we did the best that we could. Um, And I'm really, really proud of our team and our teaching artists that were able to pivot so quickly to be able to you know, really make sure that we were still there for our community who needed the arts even more um, in their lives than they probably ever knew that they needed it to continue to keep their souls enriched and keep themselves creative and content. You know, there were some instances where this is a, a great example. Um, there were a group of seniors, older adults that we were working with, and they didn't have access to computers and smartphones and didn't know how to use Zoom. So 
we started doing um, instruction by phone. So we would take the art supplies, drop it off at their doorsteps and hop on the phone. And the teaching artist would walk them through lessons via phone. And we did a little bit of that in the in the halls as well, the juvenile detention centers, because there was some technology issues that we were dealing with over there um, as well. So it was, you know, art by any means necessary, whatever tools we had in our hands, we used. Um, and this is a cute story. That older adult class um, eventually moved to Zoom and everyone got on iPads and smartphones and, and they were actually seeing each other make art together. And they were so connected by that. Um, there was one gentleman who his internet went out and he hopped in his car and he drove to Best Buy and he finished the rest of the class on an iPad at Best Buy. I love that story. It shows the creativity and the eagerness and the necessity that the students feel about being connected and, and having that creative space. Do you think that this will type of thing will continue after the pandemic? Because it seems like it opens it up yeah. to a bigger audience. You know, I think that was our thought maybe six months ago. But right now, at this moment, what we're finding is that people are so eager to be in person that we're finding very little traction online right now. But I think it's just the pendulum swinging. And I think that my prediction is that it'll kind of even out and we will return to maybe a balance of both approaches. It definitely seems like it, it's an innovation that can be complementary, mm -hmm. where you can do both. Yeah, I think it's definitely a tool for a different kind of engagement. And I think they're, you know, like any tool, you decide, do I need a hammer or do I need a screwdriver? <laughs> you know, it's like there's some instances where you need one versus the other. But did you have any kind of epiphany or breakthrough? You know, my motto as of recent days, um, particularly as Omicron set in um, in like late December, early January, my motto has become, you know, we're doing the best that we can, given the circumstances that we've been handed. And that's all we can ask of ourselves. And that's all we can ask of each other. And if we stay in that zone, you know, I think we can't, we can't ask for any more than that. We're doing our best. That's plenty fine. I tend to be hard on myself. Um, so I'm trying to create that space for for being forgiving to myself. I can only do, you know, my best. And there's so many things outside of our control right now. At least for me, you experience something. And it's one of those, I don't know if there's yeah. a name for it, where you're shocked, but it's not anything new. It's almost like you're shocked yeah. that you're shocked about it. I don't know yeah. if there's a name for yes. that, but that's yeah. like a phenomenon, oh. right? Yeah. 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 What is that? You got to come up I gotta with a name for that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All this stuff keeps on happening over and over again. Yeah. And, yeah. and so often we're all, especially people of color, like we, we some reason buy into like the, the fantasy version of America, mm -hmm. like all like the kind of cliches. Yeah. But then we're experiencing something totally different individually. See, oh, no, there's all these other kind of factors that are going into play that we're really not kind of prepared to navigate. Because yeah. first of all, I don't think we have those conversations with each other. Yeah. My thought was like, oh, we need to work together and figure out 
well, what do you do in that situation when mm-hmm. someone says something like that? Or what do you do when you know that somebody is getting paid more than you? Yeah, I wish I could, like, somebody needs, that someone needs to teach a course on. Like, how do you, you know, usually I'm so stuck in, like, getting mad or frustrated or questioning myself about, like, is this, what is this really? Like, what just happened? And I'm so stuck in that mode that right. I'm not able to be Get like that, that and and like have that, you know, very strategic yet witty and like, you know, push them back. I feel like it's almost like we need to have like um post-its. Yeah. <laughs> Our little business cards with like little things that when those things happen, okay, yeah. this is what I can say when someone's making up some kind of story. Mm-hmm. It's almost like when you go into the um to get a car, you know they're going to upsell you. Yeah. And so you really prepare yourself, mm-hmm. right? You've done all your research. Yeah. Maybe I'll come with somebody. Maybe I'll go to these different, like you plan it out because we know that's supposed to happen. Yeah. But then when we go to the doctor's office, when we go to all these other places where we get so upset, like we're never, we're just going in blind almost. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and you know, the thing that, that really riles me up is that, and you know, I just need to get over this, but but that all of that preparation and that like, what am I going to say is sometimes causes paralysis, sometimes, you know, is so much emotional and mental energy that we come out super drained, you know, and then I think about like, especially white men, like breeze through life without having to think about any, any, of, that. Of, that, any right. of that. And that's right. where, that's where our, like, how do we beat that? Like, how do we, every time I go in for a job negotiation, my husband gives me like a, you know, a, he's a cheerleader pep right. talk. And yeah. he's like, you go in there and you negotiate like a white man. And I'm like, you know, what, will, will there ever be a day where I can negotiate as, me as based upon your qualifications have to think like somebody else to you know work the system um no yeah i need to get over that (laughs) that's the thing yeah it's like no like not i don't think in our lifetime and it may at some point but not like today or tomorrow yeah and so in the meantime the baby time. steps, right? Well, I don't even know if the baby is up and walking yet. It's like, it's <laughs> yeah, like okay. <laughs> I think it's just like we need to prepare for the baby coming. Yes. The baby's not here yet, right? And so, how do you prepare yeah. for that baby? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think in hiring, like I'm thinking about how important representation is, even in these situations, because in hiring, I think what happens is, can we envision this person in this role? And if there hasn't been a history, like if this is something new. No, we can't envision it. Right. So it's just right. not going to happen. Um, right. I think all of these things are, are tied together. You, my wheels are like really turning now. <laughs> you really got me going here. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it, these interviews are so interesting because I think so many people, and what I love about them, so many people come in with like their press release of what, who they are and what mm-hmm. they do and, you know, I feel like anybody can read that off of a website. Yeah. But I'm really interested in for anyone that listens to this is like we're like real people dealing with real things. And this mm-hmm. is how we figured it. This is we figured out this little piece. I had this kind of epiphany 
that really helped me to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like by sharing how we do those things, someone is listening, going through the exact same thing. Yeah. They were dealing with this back then. And this is how Leslie figured it out. Yeah. And so I feel like those are the things that that make these conversations like so kind of interesting Mm -hmm. to kind of get through it successfully. Two things that this for me is one is is about that envisioning like being able to see somebody that looks like you or talks like you or has an experience like you helps you envision what is possible role modeling and representation can come in all different forms and sizes to be able to connect with different people. This is such a fascinating conversation and it's gone off in a whole different direction. <laughs> I know. I know. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I I need to have Frederick and Blaine over for dinner. Oh, or so vice versa. Yeah. Just hang out and have these awesome conversations. And it's so funny because it was almost like the first thing that you said. And I'm like, oh damn, this is going to go in a whole different <laughs> Because I know exactly what she's talking about. <laughs> well, this has been such a great... I don't know how I'm going to edit this. <laughs> I know. Uh, is there anything here? It was fun. No, it's all fantastic. It's all... And like, these are the conversations that I love to have because it's it, it's just a real conversation. Yeah. And I feel like it's so important and so insightful. The questions are just like a little map, mm-hmm. but it can take us anywhere that we really need to yeah. go. And Deer and I will be right back with a round of Would You Rather. After a brief commercial break. Yes, it'll be like old times, darling. Every day I struggle with Karen. I don't want to have to struggle with my hair. Get new and improved Afro Existential Sheen Shampoo and Reconditioner. Ow. It goes deep into your roots and uncovers the natural beauty that's been there all the time. Yeah. Every day I live the struggle. I don't want to have to struggle with my hair. And for added protection on those Karen days, there's Afro Existential Sheen Super Holding Hairspray. Ow. A protein-based hairspray that holds your hair back, but won't hold you back. <laughs> I don't even have to take my earrings off. I hate to think where I'd be without it. Afro Existential Sheen Shampoo, Reconditioner, and Relaxer. Get it today. Your roots will thank you. And that's no lie. Ow. What? What is it? Here it comes. From the Snooty Fox Dinner Theater in El Segundo, California. It's time for the Afro Existential Podcast Game Show. Where knowledge is power, would you rather? What are you talking for? What's wrong with you? Sparkle or mahogany? Oh, mahogany? That's like my favorite movie of all time. I cannot get enough. As a matter of fact, that's going to be what I'm going to watch tonight is mahogany. I laugh. I cry. I am with her. I came to give my man whatever she says. You know, Billy D. Williams is fine as wine. You know, I am so there for mahogany. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Over and over sparkle. I threw, I didn't put the whiz and I put in sparkle. I didn't know how you felt about sparkle. The original Sparkle with Irene Cara. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good, great movie, of course. But not, no, Mahogany, Mahogany, Diana Ross. Okay. Yeah. All right. I told you we we're going to remake that movie with you, and we we're going to call it Birch. 
That's Bert. only funny if you know what, if you know how light Indira is. We're going to call it Birch. <laughs> Google me. Google me. You can truly see how correct he is. Pine. Pine. <laughs> Oh my God! Pre-stained, pre-stained wood. (laughs) 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 Stacy Ladisaw, show Pepsi Riley. So hard, but so hard. Oh, I'd probably say Cheryl Pepsi Riley. Cheryl Pepsi Riley is a sneaker because. It's so many songs that you don't. First of all, Baby Doll went with Pepsi as her middle name. Somebody, some family member called Cheryl Bridget Riley Pepsi, which just let you know, you just you just killing it. You killing the game already. If Pepsi, number one, you're number one. Uno. <laughs> I don't have no nicknames like Pepsi. I mean, you know, and you don't have no choice but to grow up like. <laughs> my name is Cheryl, but they call me Pepsi. You know what I'm saying? That's like being called Nisi or Peaches. It's great. <laughs> it's great. And your name is nothing close to Nisi or Peaches. Let's see. <laughs> I'm saying. Um, you're not looking up her 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 catalog, are you? Right. Thanks for my child. That's it. It's not, I'm just trying to remember, Cheryl, don't call this podcast. I found love on a two-way street, or it takes two to make a thing go right. This, wait, you talking about it takes two to make a thing go right? Like the uh, Rob Bay song? Yeah, or I found love on a two-way street. Or Stacey Lattice song. Oh, it takes two to make a thing go right. When I was, if you, when that song came out, I harassed my grandmother for weeks that I needed to have a party. Like there wasn't even any, that's all I knew is that it takes two. And I needed to be doing, you know, I need, I had to be dancing and I, and my grandmother finally relented. I was not a, I was not a birthday party having kid. You know, this, this lady wasn't throwing parties every week for me. Right. So random party, not my birthday had to happen because raw basis it takes two to make a thing go right okay so i harassed her and then she let me have a party and would only let me have it in our basement which we had these cement stairs down to the basement in ohio and i had an ohio basement we didn't have one of these remade atlanta basements we had a cellar it was, like a it was beyond a cellar. You know what I'm saying? It was concrete floors. It was meant to catch the water draining from the from the washing machine. My mama probably had wash going during the un- ex- completely exposed cobweb ceilings. This is all coming back to me. We had a boom box <laughs> playing it playing tapes. Right. And I and then she would only let people come through the, the concrete stairs down into the basement. I don't know how long it was, but people came to this party in my basement. It's the craziest thing. And like our old furniture was on the other side of the stairs. You know how the stairs came down from the center of the house. So you had the one side with the furnace. Right. <laughs> That I, I think I made it to like a little party pad and I will play down there. I will play in this old ass basement. And then on the other side with the washing machine and the boiler <laughs> was the dance floor. 
Let's turn this function out. I mean, you remember this? You remember this? I can't remember what it was called. God, I would be dancing. I mean, you know, the running man, the hold the leg. We was kicking it. We was doing it because of raw basis. It takes two to make a thing go right. I could sing it. I know the whole song verbatim. So you're saying your choice would be it takes two to make a thing go right? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. We are so glad you joined us for another episode of the Afro Existential Podcast. Email us your comments or questions at afroexpodcast at gmail.com. And take a moment to visit us at our website, afroexpodcast.com, for more fun and insightful content. Email us your comments or questions at afroexpodcast at gmail.com. Anything else? And follow us on Instagram at the afro ex theater anything else and a special thank you to our guest leslie ito you can find out more about the armory at armoryarts.org that's a-r-m-o-r-y-a-r-t-s dot org anything else again thank you for joining us and as always have a great day on purpose i accept your challenge the afro existential podcast is part of the broadway podcast network Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.